Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 945 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be continuing this series called All About the Good News, in which we are covering the elements of the gospel. Last week, we tried to understand who is God. Obviously, we didn't exhaust everything, but we did try to come up with a working definition of who is God. This week, we're going to be talking about sin, repentance, and belief. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about uh, grace and mercy and Jesus as Lord. So last week, we answered the question, who is God? We learned that because God is great, because he's good, because he's sovereign and gracious, that we should revere, thank, trust, and praise him. But the reality, friends, is that we messed up this good creation, right? We have gone through an ugly transformation since Genesis 1, and we're going to talk about this this morning. Last year, we went through the book of Romans in our Bible studies, and there is a core truth in that study that we, that we learned together, and that's this. You have never met a good person. If you were to generally ask someone, do you think you're a good person? Most people would say, yeah, generally, I think I'm a good person. But this is a problem because when we look around, we see so much brokenness, we see so much things that are going wrong. And if generally people were true, or generally if people started in neutral position, this quote by Jonathan Edwards would be true. It says, if man is born neutral with respect to evil and virtue, you would expect that at least 50% of the people in the world would never sin. The book of Romans unequivocally eliminates the option that there are good people. In Romans 3.10, it says, There is no one righteous, not even one. If any of us were good, then we wouldn't be concerned after what happens when we die, right? If any of us were 100% good, then we wouldn't be concerned about what happens after we die. But if we look inside, if we examine our hearts, we would discover darkness, we would discover evil, and a selfish desire to get what we want out of this life. But the reality is we miss the standard of God's goodness. To understand how broken we are, we must understand what sin is, what it came from, what it means, and how to fix it. And that's my goal today is to understand that sin is all our fault and to fix it is entirely out of our control. Thank goodness. And we'll see this through an overview of sin, through how sin ruins us, how uh, sin's roots, sin's result, and sin's remedy. And after looking at these points, we will see that because our sin separates us from God, then the only way to return to him is through his grace. That's the outline for this morning, and that's my goal, is that we would see that our sin separates us from God, and the only way to return to him is through his grace. Now, when I ask you guys what you think of when you think of ruins, what what comes to your mind? For me, I think of ancient Rome. Do you guys think of ancient Rome when you think of ruins? I think of ancient Rome, and when you go to Rome, you see all these old buildings that are crumbled, that aren't 
in use anymore. And what was once a great nation, a nation that lasted for 450 years at the top of the food chain, ancient Rome, through its pride, through its arrogance, and through its depravity, fell. Now, Rome was a great nation. It produced things that we use even today, right? Roman numerals. It produced things like modern plumbing. It produced things that are so relevant even to today's society. It even produced things like roads. But one thing we can see is that we look at ruins and what we see is an image or what used to be. Something that was great, something that was good is now broken and decrepit and ugly. And that is exactly what sin does to us. What God had originally made good, what God had originally made great, is now ugly, decrepit, and broken because of the choices that we made. And that's going to be our first point today, is talking about sin's ruin. And last week we talked about how in the beginning, God had created us, and according to him, we were good. But something happens just a couple chapters later, and after providing all of our needs, God commands just one thing, just one thing. And that's what Genesis 2, 16 through 17 says. That's where we're going to start this morning. Genesis 2, 16 through 17. It says, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this was one rule, and this one rule was for their good. He, God desired for them to stay in relationship with him, but out of their choice, they chose to disobey him. So what happens after this command? This is a command that God gives, uh, gives Adam, and something happens in the very next chapter. That's going to be what Connor uh, and Libby read for us this morning in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. This is called, What Happens When Sin Happens? All right? So Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Now the serpent, or this is referencing Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat food from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, there are two significant things that I want to point out in this section of Scripture, two things that are going to be integral to understanding our concept of sin this morning, and that is we need a working definition of what is sin. This is the first example that we see in Scripture of sin entering the world of God's creation. And basically, the first one is it is a transgression of God's law. We saw in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God had clearly laid out the rules and what sin is, is missing the mark of God's righteousness. It is a transgression of God's law. That means that there was 
a law. There was something that God had created order or a way in which people should live in place by God that was communicated to his people. This was clear. This wasn't some unknown thing. This was known by Adam and Eve of this is my law. Instead of following that law, Adam and Eve broke it and they disobeyed. 1 John 3, 4 even describes sin like this. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But sin is also rebellion against God. Notice the motivation that was given to Eve. He basically is tempting her, saying, God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because you will be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. Not only did they disobey God, but they rebelled against God. When you think of the word rebellion, what do you think of? You think of an uprising against the order or, or the, the people who are, are in power. That is what rebellion is, and that's exactly what takes place here. To be like God was for these people, Adam and Eve, to rebel against their created nature and the order in which God had established, to try to be like God. So often sin comes from going against what God has established, going what God has ordered, and trying to be something we're not. See, to put simply, sin is anything we think, anything we say, anything we do that disobeys God and rebels against how he created us. It is missing the mark of God's righteousness. But Genesis 8 through 13, it goes on. Genesis 8 through 13 goes on. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Verse 10, He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Verse 11, And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Continuing verse 12. The man said, the woman put you here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now after this, God uh, goes into the portion where he curses man and woman, and we see that there is a penalty for disobeying God. But we'll get to that later. The verse that really shows that creation is now soiled by sin is found in verse 10. Adam becomes aware that he is naked and he is afraid. This is the first episode of Naked and Afraid, okay? So Adam sees this. And this fear, this shame was non-existent beforehand. This fear that Adam was experiencing did not exist before this situation. But sin has now entered the world, and its effects are being realized. God's creation is now in ruins. And that is what sin does. Sin taints what God intended for good. Sin taints what God created for good. Sin ruins God's creation. So we've seen how sin ruins God's creation, but now we, see, we need to see the roots, okay? We see that man chose sin over obeying God, and their choice was to defy God. That was their choice. The result of this choice obviously changed the course of human history. Now I want to look at sin's roots, okay? And this takes place in Genesis 5, 1 through 3. 
is going forward and we see uh, this, this in a, an account of Adam's family. So chapter 5 in Genesis says this is the written account of Adam's family line. Now I want you to notice something interesting. Last week we talked about how in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, God created man in his own image. But we're going to see something different here. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them, and he named them mankind when they were created. Verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Something so significant happens here that if you just glance over it, you could absolutely miss it. But notice in verse 2 that God had created Adam and Eve in his own image, and they were created good. But it says that Seth was made in Adam's image, and there is no indication that Seth is good. Why would the author intentionally indicate to us, to the reader, that Seth was made in Adam's image and not God's. Well, that is because we have an inherited sin nature. That is sin's roots. We have an inherited sin nature. By indicating that Seth was in Adam's likeness, the author is drawing attention to the fallen state of mankind. That is what he's drawing attention to. Now, all of us, are born in sin. This is something that we see repeated time and again in the New Testament, particularly in Romans 5. We talk, uh, it talks about Adam as kind of our representation or, or our head. And Romans 5.12 says it like this, Just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Romans 5, it goes way into depth in this subject, but the reality is that all of us are born with a sin nature. In other words, we are born with a natural inclination to disobey God. Now, the natural question comes up because we don't like to receive blame, we don't like to take responsibility for our actions, is how can we be held responsible if we are born with a sin nature? Well, just because it is our natural inclination to do wrong, we still choose to sin. Just because it's our natural inclination, we still choose to sin. Yes, we have free will, but this will is influenced by who and what we are. I can't be mad at my dog when he does things that dogs do, right? That's what dogs do. But he is still choosing to do those things. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have free will because he's a dog. It's just that we are influenced by who and what we are. So if we have a sin nature, then we are still choosing to do wrong, even though that is in our nature. Ephesians 2.3 describes this as the cravings of our sinful nature. We may be born into sin, but we can all look each other in the eye. We can all look each other in the eye and say with full honesty that there are times in our life where we have known full well that what we were about to do was wrong and chose to do it anyway. We all choose evil. We all choose wrong. It is our choice to sin. We make that decision, and we have all failed in choosing the righteousness of God. We may want to say, that's not fair, but in a moment, we're going to talk about God's mercy. 
And that is something that is truly unfair. But luckily, it's in our favor. Now we need to talk about what is the result, okay? And ironically, that's my third point is sin's result, okay? And sin's result is continuing with the uh, fun theme in that the penalty of sin is death, okay? Physical, spiritual, and eternal death. And there's some scripture references. This is something that is very clear in scripture, something that uh, I could... I could spend the rest of our time this morning just reading scripture about this idea. But the reality is that when we want to talk about what is fair, what is just, one of the characteristics of our God is that he is a just God. He is a fair God. And the reality is that what we have all earned from our choices is eternal separation from God. What we have chosen to do is diminish the righteousness that God has intrinsically put on his creation. Through our choices, our sinful choices, we have uh, chosen a life that is not righteous. And God who is righteous cannot be in the presence of unrighteousness. Now this penalty is physical. I first want to talk about that. It's physical when we see in Genesis 2.17 that God promises that they will surely die if they eat from this tree. This is a physical death. One of the results of sin is that we die because of our sin. Because it's entered the, the picture, God's creation is tainted, okay? It's ruined. We will die because of our sin. And the result is, and, and the evidence in Scripture, is that before this took place, there was no death. There was no death before this took place. Only after sin entered the picture did, did death start to, to start to happen. And the pain and the heartache that we experience from death in this life, it's hurtful. It's painful. It's one of the main ways in which we experience the brokenness of this life and long for something that's different. When we see death in this life, it's not something we should just gloss over, but it's a reality that that's actually not what God intended. God not, did not intend for us to die, but because of our sin, it has resulted in our eventual death. But this death is also spiritual. And that's what I mean when I say eternal separation from God. Our natural state as sinful people is separation from God. We are not in relationship with Christ or in relationship with God on our own, on our own merit, on our own work. Psalm 9:17 says, The wicked go down to the realm of the dead. Revelation 20:15 says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This spiritual death is a judgment of our sin and it is eternal separation from God. Because God is holy and because our sin taints us, then we are unholy. Do you see that? God can't be in the presence of unholiness. And if our sin has made us unholy, that is what causes the separation. So are you guys ready for some good news? Yeah? Ready for some good news? Okay. Because our sin separates us from God, then the only way to return to him is through his grace. And guess what? It's nothing that you do that can earn you this grace. It is what has already been done on the cross through Jesus Christ and his subsequent resurrection. That is the good news, friends, is that you don't have to worry about being good enough to earn this salvation. You don't have to worry about, okay, man, I've messed up all those times. Now I got to make sure that my good things outweigh my bad things. But that is not what earns us justification or favor or uh, relent, being relented from the judgment of hell. 
It is only through the work of Jesus Christ. And this is sin's remedy, okay? This is the remedy of the problem that we've talked about all this morning. It is found only in Jesus Christ, who is 100% God, 100% man, who lived a perfect life for the purpose of dying on a cross and paying the penalty that we deserved. We said that the result of our sin is death. Well, guess what? He paid that penalty. And him dying on the cross was a substitute for anyone who would believe in him. Anyone who would trust in him for the forgiveness of their sin would be forgiven. And they would be declared righteous in God's eyes. That is an incredible miracle. And something that all of history points to is the cross. God progressively revealing and showing his grace to humanity, ultimately in the culmination of the promised Savior, Jesus Christ. And anyone who would trust in him would be saved from their sin. Now, what are you saved from? When I say saved from the sin, is it just this fire insurance of, okay, I'm going to be a Christian so I don't have to go to hell? Is that what we're saved saved from? Yes, but only in part. That is not the true Christian life. Romans 3.24 says we are saved from the guilt of sin. We are no longer found guilty in God's eyes. And the reason being, because God is just, there had to be a payment for the sin that we committed. That's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross, because that was the payment for our sin. God says the record is cleared because someone paid our debt. Do you see that? Romans 8, 2 and 2 Corinthians 10, 20 through 22 says we are saved from the power of sin, meaning we have God's spirit living inside of us that changes our disposition or it changes our heart and our view of sin. Whenever we receive the Holy Spirit within our hearts, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer, our, our natural inclination was, is no longer to only sin. But because of the Holy Spirit living within us, we have the ability to follow Jesus and live a righteous life. And it's not based on our grit, but it's based on the Holy Spirit living within us. And finally, John 3.16, friends, right? It points to the fact that we are saved from the penalty of, of sin. Those in Christ are not condemned to the eternal separation from God, but are in fact saved from that that and seen as justified before God. Now the question comes, okay, I love that Jesus saves us from our sin, but how do we get there, right? That's the natural question that comes, right? How do we get there? Well, there's two twin supernatural acts that occur that save us from our sin, and that is repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. These are both supernatural acts because R.C. Sproul described what takes place in Romans 3.11, which is that no man seeks out God. No man desires God. And he describes it like this. He has no desire for Christ. And the only way he will ever choose Christ is if God softens his stone-cold, recalcitrant heart and puts him in a desire for Christ. In other words, We need God to soften our hearts so that we can be sensitive to the reality that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. We know that belief, based on Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, is the only avenue that saves us from our sin. But there is a result, right? The only requirement for salvation is faith in what Christ has done, the person and work of Christ. But there are marks of this belief. There is evidence 
of this belief, and that evidence plays out in repentance. Repentance is this idea of turning away from. Oftentimes, it's viewed as behavior modification. You just need to stop sinning. That's what repenting is from. You need to stop sinning. But in my opinion, that is not what repentance is. Repentance is evidence of a changed heart. Repentance is more than just turning away from a sinful life, but it is a changed heart living out its new reality. Do you see the difference? Repentance is a changed heart living out its new reality. A baby touching a hot stove doesn't know it's hot. But a person who has seen the effects of sin and know that, knows that there's a better way chooses not to touch the stove. See, we need God to change our hearts to experience this new reality and this new reaction to sin. Jesus describes it in Luke 5.32 when he says, He has not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Apostle John in 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Guys, sin has ruined God's creation. The roots of it come from our own choices to turn away from God. And the result of turning away from God is this physical, spiritual, and eternal separation from him. But through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we can be restored back to God, to right relationship to him. It's the remedy to our sin. It's not our hard work. It's not our effort or our inherent goodness, which doesn't exist to have eternal life with God, to enjoy him forever, we need to be made clean by Jesus. Not our hard work, by Jesus. We need to trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. Believe in who he is and what he did and repent from our sinful life. And guys, because our sin separates us from God, then the only way to return to him is hard work? Being good? No. Only through his grace, which is a gift from him. A gift from him. That's the good news. It's not up to you. It's up to what God has already done through his son, Jesus Christ.